This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. In today's program, we're picking up our series on being open but cautious. Today, we're talking about the gift of prophecy. You guys stay tuned. It's going to be a good episode. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma, together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC. We set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick? And and how do we interpret tongues? And should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? If you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. You might be watching and even watching that intro and going, wait, Michael Roundtree is part of this show. Where is Michael Roundtree? We didn't even say it in the last program, I don't think. But he is out. Is he riding? He's at the cabin, right, Miller? I I forget exactly where he is. He's at the cabin, right? Riding? Yeah, he's riding. Yeah, he's taking time to work on his book on Revelation. Yeah, he's doing riding projects. So you guys be praying for him uh, so that he figures out um, what revelation is all about. Cause he's still trying to figure it all out himself. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> um, but, uh, we we're going solo today. We're talking about, uh, prophecy, talking about, uh, the camp of charismatics that believe in the gifts. They're open to the gifts, but they're still cautious about them. They're still pumping the brakes on things. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. Before we dive in, I want to remind you that Remnant Radio is entirely crowdfunded. So if you want to support the channel, uh, you can give in the links of the description on the top link for PayPal and the link right out underneath it is for Patreon. Uh, if you choose to give on PayPal, you can give a one-time gift of any amount. And if you give on Patreon, you can give as low as five bucks a month and you'll get access to extra content. Uh, without further ado, I will introduce you to the other Michael, the other, other Michael. This is Michael Miller. Mikey, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good, man. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to comment on. I'm good. Everybody saw me on Monday. Got so. a fresh run in today, so you feeling feeling good? I am. I, I apologize. I'm still in my workout gear. I didn't have time to shower, but thank goodness for all of you. You cannot smell me on YouTube. At least I don't think you that, can. It's a. It's a good. It's a good place Unless to that's be. That's a gift hey. that I didn't know about. So, well, you've got dopamine, you know, kicking. So it's going to be a great show. Uh, as uh, as you, for whatever reason, enjoy running for your life. There's a proverb somewhere that says <laughs> that only a foolish man runs when no one's chasing him, or something like that. But uh, I digress. Let's talk about uh, being open. Because <laughs> you want to frame. The open but cautious uh, idea uh, for those who are coming to the conversation, maybe they're they're continuationist, cessationist, somewhere in between, and they're not familiar with the concept of being open but cautious. You want to frame that for us? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I was in, um, I guess, southern Illinois, western Kentucky, very like tip on the both of those places. And some of the elders there had actually brought up our podcast that we did last week. And they're like, wait, hold on. Shouldn't elders be open and cautious? Like, isn't it our, our job to protect the sheep from uh, false teaching and things like that? And it's like, yes, that is true. So when we say, um, when, we, when we buck up against the idea of being open but cautious, we're actually talking about a disposition towards the gifts. Uh, and what we're trying to say is the open but cautious approach to the gifts of the Spirit as a disposition 
is not necessarily a biblical disposition because the scriptures actually tell us to be zealous after these things. And so um, and we want to talk about what that looks like. What does open but cautious look like when it comes to prophecy versus um, zealous and wise um, for the uh, gift of prophecy? Is yeah. that a good framework? Yeah, no, that's it. That's it. I mean, when we're, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, we want to have a posture that we earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And caution does not really um, suggest, uh, you know, an eagerness, a zealousness to pursue those things. Whereas we would just say, hey, if you're eager and you're wise about those things, you can really pursue that, but you're framing it in a way where it's like, I'm not going to accept everything carte blanche. Uh, and that last program, we talked about the gift of tongues and how that's used and how people you know, they're open to the idea of spiritual gifts, but they're really cautious about the gift of tongues for various reasons. Today, we're just talking about that subject, but we're talking about tongues. Now, maybe you're out there and you're practicing the gift of prophecy or practicing the gift of tongues. I would encourage you, man, keep watching through the program because you're going to encounter people within your own ministry, around your own ministry, or friends and family who are going to have these kinds of positions. And hopefully some of our dialogue and discussion can help you as you're ministering to some of them. So even if this isn't specifically about you, it will be for you in many ways. So uh, let's start off with some of the things that we hear when uh, we we talk about people who are interested in the spiritual gifts, but they're really cautious about the gift of prophecy. Uh, do you want to start off, Miller, with you know one of the things that you frequently hear when people say, "Hey, uh, I want to pursue gifts," and often there's like, "Hey, let's go after healing, let's go after you know teaching," uh, but the the kind of revelatory gifts are often the ones that are getting the the brakes pumped on them. Uh, do you want to maybe unpack some some of the concerns and cautions that you hear about the gift of prophecy? Yeah, well, I mean, the big thing is, is uh, at least I, I've heard this a lot, is, well, shouldn't we be open and cautious, this, cautious to the gift of prophecy? Because what happens if somebody gets it wrong? What happens if they represent God publicly and they gave a prophetic word that doesn't come to pass? Um, you know, they can mislead a lot. And so um, me, as in the pursuit of prophecy, if I get it wrong, wouldn't I be misrepresenting God? What do you think, Josh? I mean, it's a, it's a legit concern, and I think actually is motivated well. Like, I mean, when you get up to teach, I think that you should also have a great level of concern and 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 care when you're handling the text of Scripture because you don't want to misrepresent God. I think in the same sense that that motivation with the gift of prophecy or healing or any other spiritual gifts uh, is a good motivation. Uh, but if your motivation to protect the integrity of 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 God and His truthfulness is allowing you to um, disobey a commandment of scripture, then that's not a good motivation, right? Like what if, you know, you're commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? To share the, your faith with the world around you. And you refuse to share your faith uh, to the world around you because you're afraid of misrepresenting God. It might be a good motive, kind of, but but if that, that good motive is preventing you from obeying the scriptures to go out and share that gospel to the world, then then that's not a good motive. It's actually leading you to disobedience. And I would just say that many people, when it comes to the gift of prophecy, uh, they see this verse that says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. They desire prophecy. It's like, well, I desire it, but I'm just afraid of misrepresenting God. And if that fear prevents you from exercising that gift, then you probably have a bit of an imbalance you should have a reverence towards the Lord. You should have a desire to to say what is true and not guess and not make things up. 100% the right motivation to have. But in the midst of that, you also have to test things. So I would just encourage people, if you're going to ask God to speak to you and you feel like maybe God has shared something with you, package it with the level of faith that you've received it. 
I mean, if an angel comes down with a scroll and speaks to you with a clear voice, maybe you do say, hey, man, I, God's saying this, you know, that's maybe the way that you deliver that. But man, if you're getting an image or there's this impression or thought or feeling that you're getting as you're praying for this person, you you share it with those kinds of, that kind of emphasis in which you've received it. You know, I think Lord might well, be saying, or or maybe this or that. Yeah, I think the, the there's an underlying uh, presumption in that question or underlying belief in that question that prophecy, if it's really prophecy, is um, on par authoritatively with the scriptures. And if anything, if it's if it's really the Lord, it's it's the word of the Lord, then it needs to be treated with that kind of uh, authority. And I think that's where the misunderstanding about prophecy comes in is uh, people assume that um uh, that a person who is prophetic has to be as inerrant and infallible as the scriptures themselves or the word that came from God to that person. So when we say, um, when we talk about prophecy, we're not assuming that the person delivering a prophetic word is inerrant or infallible. We would say that about the scriptures and we would say that about God speaking, but we wouldn't say that about the person delivering what God says in the same way. Um, a person who teaches the scriptures, aren't they teaching the word of God? Well, yes, absolutely. But that person could misrepresent what God says in the scriptures. They could be misinterpreting. They could be committing an act of eisegesis rather than exegesis. Um, or misapplying the the verse of scripture. And so, and then on top of that, I, I wouldn't take prophecy on the same authoritative level as scripture. And the reason why is because it doesn't seem like Paul does. When you look at um, 1 Corinthians 14, he'll say, let two or three prophets speak and then let the others pass judgment. And in that passage, it doesn't tell us who the others are. The others could be the elders of the church. The others could be the other prophets in the church. The others could be the people on the receiving end of those prophetic words. But the fact is that prophecy is meant to be judged. Whereas later on in the exact same chapter, when it comes to Paul's own writings, which he recognized as scripture, he says, hey, let him who thinks he's a prophet recognize that what I'm writing are the very words of God. So prophecy over here, authoritatively, Versus scripture over here, authoritatively, looks more like this. Prophecy being having need to be judged, considered, weighed, filtered, whereas scriptures are meant to be accepted as the authoritative word of God. Uh, would you add anything to that? No, I, I wouldn't add anything to that. I think that uh, we, we talk often on the show about, you know, revelation, interpretation, application, and you can get the revelation. If, it, if it's coming from the Lord, it is it's it's infallible right but our interpretation of that in the very way that we can look at the the inspired inerrant word of god and it that revelation is objectively true with no error no fault that uh, we can read with our fallible intellect and understanding and comprehension and then misdeliver that as well so and, and if someone asked in the comment section saying hey it sounds like josh uh, is counseling us to say thus saith the lord and, and i would say if you have an absolute, objective, clear revelation from the Lord, that might be acceptable. I think 99.9% .9 of the time when people hear from the Lord, that's not the case. Um, if you heard the audible voice of God tell you to do something or to share something with someone, um, I, I'd jump on that and, and I would deliver it with the level of confidence in which the Lord has given it to you. Um, the scripture talks to, tells us to prophesy according to our faith. So if, again, I've got an impression or there's an image that that's in my mind, you know, um, I share this story a lot as an example, because it's, it's one that I remember. Um, 
uh, well, here, here's one that, that that's very similar. This lady asked us to pray for her post-COVID symptoms and laid hands on her and I prayed and asked God to, you know, to heal her. As I'm praying, um, in my mind, I, I see her having uh, what looked, appeared to me as a panic attack. Her hands were like kind of over her body. She was kind of rocking back and forth uh, and breathing heavily like she was having a panic attack. And I told her that, and, and she says, those are my post-COVID symptoms. Like she didn't, she didn't tell me what they were, but that was the effect of it. So I didn't say, hey, thus saith the Lord, uh, I'm also going to pray against your panic attack. Uh, but I said, hey, is this going on? What's this about? And she goes, oh, that's my post-COVID symptom. And I'm like, oh, that's neat that the Lord showed me that. Um, other times, you know, I, I think you can have a level of confidence. Again, audible voice of God, you might deliver it that way. Um, but I want you to deliver that word according to your faith. So if you're trying to figure out if this is the Lord or not, I would not be delivering a thus saith the Lord. Miller, coach, coach me on that. How am I, am I misrepresenting that? Am I, am I delivering that no, in a way that might not be accurate? No, I think what you're trying to do is say, uh, you want to fairly represent the form in which God is spoken to you with varying degrees of certainty. So when God gave Peter a trance, I mean, that's pretty unavoidable, right? Like, you're not going to dismiss right. it as your own thoughts. You're not going to dismiss it as your own impressions. You're going, no, God God spoke to me in a trance versus, or an angelic visitation. You're not going to be left going, did I make that up? Was that just a figment of my imagination? Most of the time, those kind of experiences are, are usually because whatever God is asking you to do is going to be a lot harder to fulfill. Uh, whereas impressions, uh, thoughts that come into our mind that might be from the Lord, those are going to come with a varying degree of uncertainty. Um, but, but I think the other thing about this is, uh, just again, with the teaching thing, we would all recognize that sometimes teachers teach things that are not true. Uh, do they mean to, are they trying to mislead people? No, they're actually trying to teach the word God. I mean, some people are misleading, obviously there, there are abuses out there, but I'm talking about, um, those who are, are doing it quite unknowingly and ignorantly, and they're doing it about tertiary issues or tertiary doctrines, not, uh, creedal statements. Um, and yet when the scriptures talk about this, this kind of thing, it doesn't call those people false teachers. Um, but it does seem to, the scriptures do seem to imply that a teacher is a, uh, is a being a teacher that having that gift is actually going to come under a stronger judgment than a person who's prophetic. And we know this because uh, James will say this, let not many of you become teachers knowing that as such, you will incur a harsher judgment. Whereas when it comes to the, the scriptures talking about prophecy, he says, and, and this is Paul telling the entire Corinthian church to do this. And, and Moses's admonition to the uh, 70 elders who are complaining that other people were prophesying. He's like, I wish that you all would prophesy. And Paul says, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And he does this twice, which is meant to be there for emphasis. So uh, teaching is actually to be held to a higher standard, whereas the gift of prophecy should be pursued by all who believe. So once again, you find that teaching is on the higher echelon of, of uh, well, it's it's a greater level of guilt that you bear if you get things wrong versus prophecy. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? I, I think that's kind of the the way that I would view that. And, and I think that's why people would have this question of like, I don't want to misrepresent God. And I would say, listen, mm -hmm. you don't have that fear about teaching, but you do have that fear about prophecy and the scriptures take teaching far more seriously. That's a really good point. And I think that maybe this will be the last thing I'll say on that. You know, when it comes to the scriptures, we have a doctrine called perspicuity that lots of Protestants, myself included, would hold. And the doctrine of perspicuity says that the, the Bible is understandable. It's comprehensible. It's not so far away from us that we can't comprehend it or understand it. 
Now there are certain parts of it, like, you know, um, trying to think of some obscure passage in Revelation, like who are the two prophets? Like some people walk around confidently asserting, I know who the two prophets are, or confidently asserting, I know the, 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 the season in which, uh, you know, the, the, the rapture or the tribulation is going to take place and they come along and they, they assert it with such great confidence when we all, I say we all, much of scholarship acknowledges as if I'm part of scholarship, uh, scholarship acknowledges that there are parts of the scriptures that are actually, um, shrouded, like not quite, not super easy to understand. So many of us go into those kinds of texts and say, well, I think it could be this. I think it could be that, but I'm just not sure those teachers aren't like being judged for that kind of thing. Now, if you get up there and you say like, hey, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is the brother of Satan, you're going to get judged for that, like misrepresenting God, right? To come to a text and say, there's this part of the scripture that I, just, I don't know what this means. It could be this, it could be that. I'm asking you when you get a prophetic word, if God speaks to you in that same level of mystery uh, and a riddle or a dark saying, you know, in a, in a way that's that's not super plain, that you deliver it with the same level of confidence. If I go to the text of scripture, I preach Jesus died, he was raised from the dead, repent and believe. Like I, I preach with a, a measure of confidence and I say it as if it's a life or death sort of situation because I know that the scriptures are plain on that. So I, I speak to an issue with a level of confidence that I believe the scriptures speak to it in. I want to also deliver prophetic words with the measure of confidence that I know the Lord has spoken to me on. So well, it, that that might be helpful. Yeah, and just so you know, Josh was making a reference to riddles and dark sayings. That's actually a scriptural reference. It talks about how Moses was uniquely gifted in that he spoke with God face to face. But when God speaks to other prophets, it says he speaks to them in riddles or dark sayings, things that are shrouded in mystery. And he'll speak to, to these prophets in really flimsy ways, like dreams or visions of the night. And so the, the uh, implication is that these flimsy ways make it quite possible to misunderstand what God is saying when it comes to prophecy. Moses was unique in that sense. And we know that because in Deuteronomy 34, right after uh, Moses has, been, has, has sort of been left behind in the wilderness, um, on the other side of the Jordan, it says that uh, that the people listened to Joshua because Moses had laid his hands on him and put the gift of prophecy on Joshua just as it was on Moses. But it's even in that context, it says, but since that time, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So that is the nature of prophecy, unfortunately, is that God speaks in ways that can often be misinterpreted uh, and uh, ways that you might not even realize it's him, according to Job 33, 14. So yeah, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, believe it or not, though it's not really in our, uh, maybe I'll say it, before the New Covenant, I'll say it that way, because uh, mm -hmm. it is technically categorized in the New Testament, like in John 12, you know, the voice, you know, Jesus is praying in John 12, Lord, glorify your name, that kind of thing. The Father speaks from heaven as I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. John recognizes it's God who's speaking. Some heard an angels, others heard it thunder, right? So do you understand like how even God can speak? Again, this is still in the old covenant, right? The new covenant had not yet been given, right? So like in the old covenant, God is speaking and still people are not hearing what's being said. So again, there's this idea that God can still speak and we can misunderstand and misapply. So uh, oh. anyway, let's let's walk through maybe some other examples. You know, one of the things that I hear a lot and I have actually heard a lot from the charismatic space. One is that I don't want to misrepresent God. And I think that there is some good motivation there. Uh, but then on the back end, I think that that's also influenced by a lot of like the 2020 prophecies 
and the abuses that we see, it's like they're just so disheartened to practice something that's real or believe in something that is real when there's so much abuse and misconduct and prophetic malpractice, for lack of a better word. Miller, if, if you were to come to a church and someone was saying, hey, I could see how this gift is valuable. I could see how it's powerful. Um, but I'm just afraid because all I've seen of this gift is that of abuse. Uh, I've even heard a story recently where, you know, um, where potentially someone was getting manipulated to change jobs, move locations, those kinds of things because of prophetic word and it's kind of being coerced to do so. Um, just with all of those kinds of abuses spiraling around, like how would you advise someone in the midst of all of that? Uh, man, you know, the thing is, it, that is not necessarily a new problem. We actually see it in scripture. So in Thessalonians, Paul will say to the church there, hey, don't quench the spirit. And they'll go, what do you mean? How would we quench the spirit? And they'll say, don't despise prophecy. Well, why would somebody despise prophecy? It's a gift of God. It's not like God gave bad gifts. Well, it's not the gift that's the problem. It's how people have used it. They've used it to abuse. They've used it to hurt. Some people on the receiving end of prophecy go, I feel worse now after hearing that prophetic word than I did before that person prophesied to me, which is ironic because in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it says the one who prophesies speaks to people to build their faith, encourage them, and comfort them. So why would you feel worse? Well, again, it's because of the misuse of the gift. So what's Paul's instruction? Does he say, uh, we'll throw the gift of prophecy out because people misuse it. No, he says, hold fast to what is good, which is prophecy. Abstain from what is evil, which is the misuse of prophecy. Um, and then you've also got other passages where it talks about, uh, gosh, what was it? Um, oh, how some people will take their stand on angelic visitations, uh, being inflated by what their own imagination conjures up. And I think that's what we saw in the 2020 elections is you've got these guys who are uh, no accountability. They're YouTube prophets. Um, uh, and they, they prophesy all of these things that just don't come to pass. And then when they don't come to pass, they then gaslit the people who accuse them saying, Hey, these prophecies that you made didn't come to pass. Trump didn't get into office and they'll go, Oh, well, the church just didn't pray enough. And then, so, so you can see like, Oh, okay. on an election year when the church probably prayed more than any other election before, it didn't come to pass. You're going to say that it's their fault that it didn't happen, or maybe you just got it wrong. So instead of throwing the gift of prophecy out, here's a proper response. Repent. Use the gift of prophecy according to the scriptures. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others pass judgment. Present it in a way that gives the people the freedom to make a decision about whether your word was really from the Lord or not. Um, instead of forcing it down their throats and then blaming them for its lack of fulfillment. I think what what the right response is anytime that you see an abuse of a specific gift, um, if anything, it should just be fuel in your tank to see the right representation of that gift. Right. So like every time I hear a bad preacher preaching, uh, you know, a text of scripture in an inappropriate way, it, it stirs me in such a way that makes me want to preach the scriptures all the more true. Like it, 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 if, if people are going to look to this guy as a standard of Christian leadership and teaching and preaching, right, then, you know, it's going to dishearten, it's going to discredit the gospel, right? So my response should not be, well, let's not teach or preach ever because someone's out there doing this badly. In, in fact, it should be the opposite. It should be how do we display a true, authentic, spirit-empowered representation of preaching the gospel, right? Like how can we, how can we rightly represent what's good? So um, to say that, 
hey, this gift is being done badly, uh, therefore, uh, therefore we shouldn't do it. It's not a good excuse. And what we're trying to do is remove as many excuses to people who are trying to caution themselves into the gifts and say, hey, what you need to do is pursue this with integrity, earnestly desire this, but pursue it with integrity and wisdom and, and seek God in the midst of this. Because if you're seeing those kinds of abuses, this is the kind of time and day when God would give an authentic and real gift in the midst of all of that. So I, I would encourage people, pursue what's right, display to the world what that really looks like. I'm open to prophecy. Uh, go, go ahead. Well, there's a, a comment uh, from Romer Romero, uh, or no, Romer of Jesus. I don't know if I'm saying okay. that correctly. Forgive me if I'm doing it. But he, he mentions 1 Corinthians 14, 33, and he's going, you know, hey, how does this square up with what the guys are saying on the radio right now? And I think it's really important to look at the context. The passage about, um, it says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So he's going, well, if prophets are getting it wrong, uh, you know, isn't that going against this scripture? Isn't it going against confusion and disorder? Like, isn't that creating no. more disorder? But I think the context is important here. What is it talking about right beforehand? Well, it's talking about Tons. prophets who just speak over one another and how they're supposed to do it in an orderly fashion. In other words, take turns. If one's prophet speaking and another then speaks up, let the first one remain silent. So that's the kind of order it's talking about. It's not saying that prophecy is always inerrant and should never in and of itself be confusing. If anything, the reason they're supposed to judge it is to remove any confusion. Um, so it's also in I, the I context of that tongues passage about means. interpretation, right? So right. Well, that, that happens examples. even earlier in the context. Yes. Yeah. yeah so he's giving these examples of uh, tongues without interpretation, prophecy where you know three or four prophets are trying to speak over each other all at the same time. He's like, hey, the gift of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Wait and then weigh the word, right? So these words are supposed to be weighed. So if the idea is, well, these words have to be completely infallible, they have to be, you know, uh, they have to be scripture level equality. This is where, again, my cessationist brothers, most of them that I know are complementarians. And I'm super confused with their position on this because they will say things like, you know, women aren't allowed to preach, teach, or exercise authority over a man that happened in the first century, uh, but they were allowed to prophesy in the first century. So I'm like, wait a second, you believe that women in the first century could prophesy infallible and errant scripture level authority, but they couldn't teach and communicate, you know, the Bible like that, that seems incompatible in every single way. Um, my understanding is that, again, all of the gifts of the spirit are given to all of the church and all of the gifts of the spirit are subject to the authority of the scriptures. So they're not adding to the scriptures. Paul tells the church of Corinth not to go beyond what is written. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 4, 6 or 6, 4. I think it's 4, 6. Um, I'm dyslexic, so those numbers are always fun to, to, to keep uh, lined up. Um, <laughs> you mean you're less uh, dyslexic. Yeah, but regardless, um, you know, those uh, uh, not to go beyond what is written. And then to, to those who are spiritualists, who think they're prophets, to realize the words that he's writing are the very words of God. He's saying that these take authoritative precedence over the exercise of spiritual gifts. So I, I would uh, encourage you if you're like, hey, how does this function? How does this work? Uh, we don't want to have confusion. Um, confusion is not weighing a prophetic word and testing to see if it's from the Lord, right? Confusion is practicing a gift in a way in which it's indistinguishable. It's it's ununderstandable. Tongues that interpretation, it doesn't edify. All these prophets speaking at the same time, it doesn't edify. A word that's given, that's tested and weighed to see if it's from God, if it is from God, it does edify. Uh, that's not the same at all. So I hope that 
answers our friend's question. Yeah, no, I think I think it was important. It was a good question to ask. It was. I imagine that's a lot of people going, well, yeah, but doesn't it talk about being orderly? And it seems like prophecy creates disorder. Well, no, 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 it doesn't. If anything, it should help bring order if it's done rightly. So uh, let's ask the next question. Uh, Josh, I'm open to prophecy, but won't the desire of prophetic right now, like words that are for right now, put the word of God in contempt? Won't it cause people to devalue the scriptures as opposed to what we're told to do with the scriptures? Like they're a lamp into my feet. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I think that there are communities where that happens. Um, there, there are communities where that happens. And that has to be something that we fight against. Um, but I find also that a lot of prophetic words, I, I love when Chris Holder, who came from um, the uh, the Wellspring Church, uh, it came to our community here in Ada and did some ministry. I think every single one of his prophetic words that he gave had a scripture verse attached to it. And in fact, it drove our community into the scriptures. Um, when there are words given about even spiritual warfare or direction or things like that that are given in a local community context, um, one of the things that we do and we've encouraged our community to do is to hold that up against the scriptures. Is this compatible with the word of God? And I think if you're teaching your community um, to, uh, to, to weigh prophetic words, it's impossible to divorce prophetic words from scripture because you're constantly weighing them against the scripture and what else, the other things that, uh, that God is saying. But I do think it's possible to devalue the scripture in replacement of prophecy. But I'd also say that this happens in non-charismatic spaces and non-charismatic circles where they value you know, fog machines and light shows and, and kids ministries. And they, they focus on uh, tertiary outreaches rather than the preaching and teaching of scripture. So I don't know that this is something inherent within charismaticism as much as it is within the human sin. Um, but, but, but I would say that those aren't necessarily um, tied together. Uh, the desire to seek prophecy will replace scripture. Yeah, so uh, I actually ha I saw this happen. Um, there was a young guy in my community years ago. He had a litany of these prophetic words that had been given to him. He's got them all uh, like placed in his phone in order, and he goes back to them frequently. And in some sense, he's he's doing what Paul commends Timothy for doing, like go back and remember the prophetic words that were spoken over you, right? But the problem is this guy couldn't hold a job. Uh, his life was sort of... It's like what James talks about, driven and tossed about by the wind. And um, but one thing he didn't know is the clear teaching of scripture. And so my goal is not to tell him to throw away the prophetic words as though they're nothing. My goal is to actually teach him to value in the right um, priorities that uh, what God values. And he values the scriptures. Uh, and we are to value the scriptures above that of prophecy. And yet we're, we're not to throw out prophecy at the same time. So we want to, we want to teach people to value what God values and, and adjust our own values accordingly. Yeah. I've got a book somewhere in this room. Can't, can't see it right now. The book is called strangers to fire and it's a response to John MacArthur's strange fire. It's like 50 something articles written by scholars, like, like theologians responding to the strange fire book. And one of the, um, the, the arguments that they were fighting against. John MacArthur said some kind of overstatement, not a direct quote, but like the charismatic movement has added nothing to Christianity at large. And it was like a super offensive thing. Uh, but this guy that came up through Anglicanism uh, during the, um, the charismatic renewal movement, when that was taking place, he goes, hey man, this saved the whole Anglican denomination in the West from liberalism. 
He says, we were denying supernatural miracles. God can't walk on water because we know that that's not natural. You know, uh, was there a virgin birth? Like they were questioning so much of the authority and inspiration of scripture because they were walking around with a Western worldview that denied supernatural activity until they begin to see healings. They begin to see prophecies. They begin to see tongues. And then they said, whoa, if these supernatural things are true done in the name of Jesus, then we can actually have reliability and confidence that the supernatural things that happened in the scriptures are true. And it caused them to value the scriptures all the more rather than reading them with a Western worldview. It's a, it's a really brilliant chapter. I'll, maybe when Miller's oh, talking, I think that's I'll find a, it off the shelf and find what, what, yeah, what section that's in. That's a great, uh, a great point. But also, if you look at the charismatic movement as a whole, it is the fastest gro- growing movement of Christendom on the earth today. It's growing faster than Catholicism. But uh, also, I would say this personally, my, my experience, there was a time where I was a cessationist. I did not believe that God was speaking. I did not believe that God was healing through a gift of healing. Uh, you know, I, I always kind of thought, well, maybe in Africa where they don't have doctors, you know, God is healing people, which is a really, you know, ethnocentric way of viewing the world. But uh, what happened when I started to believe that, the, that God was still healing and was still speaking uh, outside of the scriptures? Um, was it actually caused me to go back to the scriptures? I found myself when it came to praying for a blind person going, okay, well, how, how do you pray for a blind person? Well, the only place mm-hmm. I know to find out is to go back into the Bible and look at all the times that Jesus healed blind people. And what I discovered was, oh, he never healed the same person twice or uh, different people the same way. Like he, he did it in different ways, which also tells you like, oh, there's a following of the spirit that Jesus did. He did what he saw the father doing and he was given the spirit without measure. But I wouldn't have known those things, and I wouldn't have had the drive to go figure out those things had I not believed that these things were possible for today. So it, if anything, it altered my my zealousness with the scriptures. I suddenly found myself going to the Bible reading more than I ever had before as a cessationist because I was like, how do you actually do these things? If this is the way we're to demonstrate the works of God, then what does that look like, and how does that happen, and where does it happen? So I would argue that that if anything, the gifts are meant to push you back into the scriptures, push you back into following God, being reliant upon the spirit and the things that the scriptures encourage. Yeah. And if they cause you not to, you really need to question what spirit that gift is practicing. Um, you know, if, if you have a gift of the spirit that's drawing attention to a man and not God, you're having a gift of the spirit that's drawing you into an unholy fascination with supernatural things that are untethered from scripture. You really need to question what spirit is leading and guiding you. Uh, this is the book that I referenced earlier, Strangers to Fire. Uh, uh, Mark Rutland, uh, Eddie Hyatt, John Ruthven, uh, William D. Ar- Artega, Craig Keener, Randy Clark, Sam Storms, Jack Deere, uh, Douglas Oz. Jeez, um, th- th- this is a fantastic book. John Mark Ruthven, Ron Cattle. Um, We've had a lot of these guys on our show. This book. Yeah, these are this is a fantastic book, and it's an it's an older book because it's a response to Strange Fire. But the articles in there, even if you haven't read Strange Fire, the articles in there are just fantastic. Historically, they have historians reviewing the historical statements of Strange Fire. They have theologians and scholars and exegetes tackling other passages. I mean, it's just it is a fantastic book that you need to check out. Uh, it's really really good. Anyway, I I've distracted us from our our questions. Uh, Miller, what's no, what's our next question? Good. Okay, I'm open to prophecy if God gives it to me. And I might pray for the gift now and then, but I'm not going to share a prophetic word unless God makes it overly clear. How would you respond to that? Well, I think that we need to like review, like, cause if someone says that, 
I agree with that generally, right? So like we were at a conference in North Carolina. Uh, I got up on stage, asked God to speak to me, looking around, I share one word. I think I probably missed it. I only say that because I don't know if it's going to happen in the future, but okay, cool. Nothing. I uh, didn't, didn't get anything that night. The next night I was like, I felt like I heard a lot from the Lord. I gave, you know, one word uh, or two words off stage, And then I gave like four words on stage that all kind of, you know, hit, hit on point. Um, but what I don't want to do is get into a situation where I'm sharing things that I think is God, that I'm just kind of inventing on my own. Um, if God's not speaking, I want to stay quiet. So I respect that approach. I think though that the, on the, on the, the flip end of it, I think some people are waiting for an overtly spectacular encounter um, that is like burning bush level revelation that that they're waiting for that to happen before they speak out, right? Like maybe they're having dreams, but they don't want to acknowledge that's God. Like, hey, God, would you speak to me? And every night they're having dreams or, hey, God, would you would you speak to me? And you're getting this impression or you're, this memory or this this image in your head over and over again. And you're like, but that's not prophecy because I can't I can't hear the audible voice of God. And I think sometimes we place the threshold for the prophetic gifts so high um, that we resist any way that the God is speaking to us. Um, that's generally how I would respond to that. Miller? Well, uh, so this is actually interesting and coincidental. Um, so this weekend I was with, uh, you might not remember uh, this person. Her name is Jordan. And you had at the Remnant Radio Conference that we did in March approached her. You didn't do it from the stage. You you went privately because you weren't entirely sure if it was Lord. But then on top of that, you didn't necessarily want to share it publicly because it was kind of a heavy word. And so you went to her and told her, hey, I feel like you just lost somebody that you really loved and you're uh, in the midst of, of grieving and, and God wants me to pray for you. Well, she got the phone call that her brother died right when she got to the conference. And so that's exactly what she needed to know. She needed to know that God knows and cares about her and would bring someone like you, just a normal person who, you know, half the time isn't sure if it's God or not to come and, and speak a word on his behalf that actually did do exactly what the scripture said would happen. It would comfort. So I thought that's kind of cool. What do you think about that, Josh? Did you know this or did you yeah, know we've got it? We've got it filmed. Her husband shared the testimony. Um, and cause I think she had to go back to be with the family. Cause I think at the time he was still on a ventilator, uh, though that there was no, there's no brain activity. I think I, I don't remember exactly how the story goes, but something to that effect. Um, uh, I, it was one of those words. I actually leaned over to Roundtree cause he was up there with me praying I was like, Hey man, I've got this word. And like, I don't want to do this from stage. Like you don't want to, you don't want to share, Hey, I think you've lost someone in your family. You know, like that's not something that you want to share. And he's like, well, you know, prophesy according to your faith. Like if you're not sure, you know, go to them directly and and, and share it, you know? And that's what, what I did just kind of following that instruction. So I'm like, I'm in this process where I feel like God speaks to me too. But like, I, even in that delivery process, I'm still looking to go, okay, coach me on this. Like, is, is, is God saying this or how, how do I deliver that? Like, I think you still have to approach some of these things with wisdom, but I didn't know. I didn't know exactly if that had happened, but that was every time I looked at them, I just felt a ton of remorse. And I asked the Lord, like, what's that about? And I felt like the Lord said that there was death in their family. And I said, okay. You know, so going up and sharing that with, again, much fear and trembling, like, I don't know, this might not be the Lord. And I kind of shared it and she just kind of like collapsed, not like physically on the ground, but just, you know, emotionally. Um, to say, Hey man, I, and she told me what was going on. It's like, I didn't hear God say that he was going to heal him. Um, but I'll pray for you and I'll pray that God heals him. Um, but, but if anything that the Lord is comforting you and he's here, he sees you, that kind of thing. And I think right. that's another thing that you've got to be real careful because some people will get a word like, Hey, there's death, there's a loss of life. And you find out that someone's really sick and on their deathbed. Oh, that must mean that God wants to heal him. I think you have to be cautious and careful with some of those things as well. So 
Um, yeah, yeah. Don't create I, I applications to things with... that, that. Sorry. Yeah. As you say, don't create applications to things that are not necessarily being told to you by God. Just go yeah. with what God has shared you shared with you. The other thing I was going to say about this is if your approach to prophecy is waiting for God to speak in a way that is absolutely clear, you may be waiting the rest of your life because the scriptures mm -hmm. tell us that God speaks to us in ways that we might dismiss. God speaks here one way, there another, though man may not perceive that it's him. Um, but the other thing about it is, imagine if you had that approach to the other gifts. You know, I'm not going to evangelize until God gives me a trance like Peter, and then somebody invites me over to their home for dinner, and then I'll then I'll share the gospel. But that doesn't make sense. You, you don't have that kind of approach to other gifts. Why would you approach it that way to prophecy? Um, you know, the, the other thing is God doesn't owe you anything. He can speak to you however he wants. Uh, Jack Deere always said this. Uh, well, actually, was, I think he got it from John Wimber, but I, I always felt like this was very helpful. Um, I've had a better time at uh, adjusting my way of hearing God than trying to get him to adjust in his way to speaking to me. And I would say that's far more true. He's the boss. He gets to speak to us any way he wants, and we are to rely on him. Uh, however he chooses to speak to us. So Miller, let me ask you this question uh, when it comes to prophecy. I think some people are open to cautious about the gift of prophecy because they think prophecy is for a specific Navy SEAL class of Christian that is so spiritual. Like, isn't isn't teaching more accessible? Wouldn't God gift me the gift of teaching or or leadership or service or or something like that? Like, couldn't God gift me and, and some of the less supernatural gifts, as we we like to call them, and I don't I don't think that any of them are less supernatural. But some would would think, hey, this is for just a super powerful man of power for the hour, not for me. How would you respond to the person that's cautious about the gift of prophecy because they don't think they're good enough for it? Well, I, I mean, I don't think that was Paul's encouragement. I mean, you look at the Corinthian church. You you've got a guy who's sleeping with his dead father's wife, and he hasn't been excommunicated. Paul literally says of them. I can't give you solid food because you're immature. And then in the same book, he also mentions that they're not lacking in any gifts of the Spirit. And then he also, in the same book, tells them, but keep seeking, right? Desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Three times he says desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Two times he emphasizes prophecy above the others. So I, I don't, that, that just, that approach is not biblically consistent, not with Paul's words. I mean, the fact is the overtly supernatural gifts uh, were being practiced in a very, very immature fashion in the Corinthian church, which is why Paul was correcting them. So his solution wasn't to throw out the gifts, but rather bring a more right practice and bring people into further maturity. I mean, they also had people that were getting drunk off the Lord's Supper. I mean, I, I that that is crazy to me. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not that crazy that people would get drunk, but that they would use the sacrament that God gave us to remind us of his death, burial, resurrection, the sacrament he gave us to to... Uh, that in the very act of doing it proclaims the gospel, and yet they were using it to get drunk. And yet, they weren't lacking in any of the gifts, even the more overtly supernatural. So I don't I don't buy into this idea that the gifts are for the mature. If anything, I think the gifts are helped to, meant to mature us even further. And I, I would use uh, Ephesians 4 as an example of this, right? He mentions five gifts in particular, the evangelist, pastor, prophet, teacher, apostle. And he says, these are for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry until we attain the maturity of the faith. So in other words, these gifts are, are supposed to equip us so that we can become more mature, not less.
Did I, I feel like yeah. I hit a home run on that. Is that right? No, that's a home run. Man. That, 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 I, yeah. That, any good or not. Shouldn't get prideful, better. but I, I feel like that was right. No, no, that was good. That was good. Yeah. It's, it's like a good preaching point, you know, like back in the day we would just start breaking out into tongues when I was a part of a Pentecostal church, you know, you say something good, you just start speaking in tongues. I don't do that anymore, but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm feeling it, man. It was good. Um, anyway, so, uh, how about the opposite, right? Um, I don't want to pursue the spiritual gift of prophecy because I think I'm not good enough. What if it's the opposite is my, my heart posture. Okay. I'm open to the gift of prophecy. But if I start using the gift, wouldn't it cause people to look at me as more spiritual than everyone else, right? So it's not a, a an, an, an under-inflated version of yourself. It's an over-inflated version of yourself. Won't people begin to look at you as the man of power for the hour? And don't you want to resist that when it comes to the gift of prophecy? I'll toss that one to you. Since you did so good on the first one, Miller, uh, oh, I'll right, toss right. over as well. <laughs> well, actually, Josh, I've seen that happen. I've seen people become inflated <laughs> with pride. And, and, you know, they start drinking their own Kool-Aid and believing their own narrative. Um, and so I, I actually think the propensity for that is true. I, I think that the propensity for people to experience the power of God, to to speak words that they could not know had it not been God, to see the dead raised and uh, lepers cleansed. I mean, but again, this is what we see in Scripture. You've got the apostles coming back and reporting to Jesus about how demons are subject to, in his name. He's saying, hey, don't glorify over that. Glorify that your name is in the book of life right? And then you've also got them one-upping each other, right? He's just told them about how he's going to die and he's going to suffer and be crucified. And what's the next conversation they're having? Um, well, they're talking about who's going to be the greatest. And so that propensity of mankind to become prideful and to one-up each other and, and to try to take the top position, it was always there with the apostles. And yet Jesus still used them. If you're, if you're waiting to um, be perfect, you're going to be waiting until the other side of the resurrection because it ain't going to happen. Now, I think the best um, admonition is not to run away from the gifts because you're afraid of becoming prideful, but rather pursue the gifts in a place where pride is in check. And one of the best ways to do that is to be in a church that has elders that are mature and, and healthy. Uh, and my recommendation is the healthiest form of that would be a plurality of elders where you're submitting your uh, life to their teaching and you're submitting your gift uh, to as an act of service rather than an act of lordship. Um, how, how would you respond to that, Josh? Oh, I, I would say that in first Corinthians and second Corinthians, people are actually doing the very thing that this, you know, they're, they're looking to some people as overtly more supernatural or overtly more empowered Spiritual. by God. And I think that Paul's instruction yeah. uh, is to not look at the, um, the gift of a person, but the character of the person. So like in, in 12, he talks about the gifts. And in 13, he says, but love is like, love is everything. Like you've got to do this for the edification of others. Like you should allow being used by God to humble you and not exalt you. That that should, that should be something that, that causes awe in your heart. And then in second Corinthians, he's writing to like the super apostles, right? So it seems like these people who are using all of these gifts, they're, they're being viewed in the community as like these the spiritual giants. So is there temptation to do that and practice idolatry from people being supernaturally empowered and looking to them rather than Christ? Yes, but the answer in, in our century is the same as it was in the first century, which is pursue love and humble yourself in the community of the saints. I, I would give the same instruction, you know? Um, uh, and, and I guess... I guess this is just something that needs to be in the culture of your church. And I don't know that I can I can say that this has a lot to do with your heart posture, but just the heart posture of the leaders of your community. Um, you really need to be preaching in such a way that character, um, character is how we're measuring people's integrity, 
uh, for measuring their relationship with God, not their overtly, you know, uh, prophetic or revelatory gifts. So um, someone can come through the church and give prophetic words and drop bombs, but they're not going to become an elder tomorrow just because they're supernaturally gifted. I have no idea. I, I have heard too many stories of accurately gifted prophetic ministers who have gaping holes in their character. Um, I, I just, I'm so familiar with it. I'm just not impressed uh, by someone's character by their gift. I can be impressed that God would speak to someone with such level of clarity and empower someone with such, you know, demonstrable demonstrations of power, uh, only to find out that, man, you know, they're broken like the rest of us. So uh, I think that it just comes with an accurate anthropology. We need to have an understanding of who we are and not judge with unjust wages or unjust me measurements. And when you start judging people's character based off of gift, you're in dangerous ground. Um, well, I mean, this is the story of uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, the podcast put out by correct. Christianity Today. Uh, the justification for a an abusive, narcissistic leader was, look at the fruit. Look at how many people are coming to Christ. Look at how much this church is growing. And it's great that people are coming to Christ. It's great that a church is growing. I, I love those things. That is not a guarantee of a leader with great character. So you cannot dismiss somebody's bad behavior or, or turn a blind eye to the reports of that bad behavior just because of the fruit. See, the thing is, God is good regardless of whatever bad character is in the uh, uh, a person who's incredibly gifted. So, yep, the kind of fruit we're looking for is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of great gifts. That's good. Hey, this is our closing one right here on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills, right? So why pursue prophecy? I can't get the gift just because I want it, right? Why pursue a gift that the Holy Spirit gives sovereignly? It's a good one. Well, uh, <laughs> well it's interesting because the, the the very passage that says that the Holy Spirit gives individually just as he wills, so it is sovereign, I agree with you, is also the same passage where Paul says, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And the word desire earnestly there is the same word for lust after. So I, I think the thing is, is yes, you are sovereignly that God is the only determining these things, but we still pray and ask for more. Um, and then also you've got both Matthew 7 and Luke 11 telling us to repeatedly ask, repeatedly seek, and repeatedly knock until you receive what you're asking for, until you find what you're seeking, until the door is open for what you've been knocking for. So I, I don't know, maybe because it means because we're supposed to be obedient to the scriptures, plain and simple. Yes, I agree. Hey, there's this really cool quote from John Piper that I put in here uh, for the camp that's open but cautious, because if you want to reach a camp that's open but cautious, you just quote Spurgeon and, Charles, uh, and John MacArthur, or John MacArthur, John Piper. So here's this quote from John Piper. Uh, I said, uh, I wonder how many of us have said for years that we're open to God's moving in the spiritual gifts, but have been disobedient to the command to earnestly desire them, especially prophecy. I would ask all of us, are we, uh, are, are we so sure of our hermeneutical uh, uh, procedure for diminishing the gifts that we would risk walking in disobedience to the plain command of scripture? That was John Piper in an article, uh, Our Wonders Against the Word in 1991. So it's an older quote, uh, but this is a good, I feel like indictment, you know, are we so are we so eager to downplay spiritual gifts or to devalue the spiritual gifts in such a way to disobey the command of scripture? Um, and I would just encourage people, man, if you're out there and I didn't realize 
you know, for the longest time. Miller was one of the first guys that I bumped into what back in 2017, 2018, uh, that like gifts of prophecy were for the body of Christ to participate in. And I came from a classical Pentecostal tradition. Like we believed in the gifts. We wanted to go after tongues and healing, but prophecy, that was something for, you know, the mature, that was something for, you know, the spiritually, you know, uh, pure and holy and like not, not for the rest of us. Something about prophecy, because if, you know, if you got a prophetic wrong, a word wrong, you're a false prophet and you're going to get stoned and you're misrepresenting God and, and you need to sit down and shut up if you miss it. So it just kept everyone really cautious of that spiritual gift. It kept everyone very afraid of that spiritual gift in such a way that we didn't see the edification of that gift in the local community. We, out of self-preservation, we tried not to seek God to speak to us because we didn't want to be considered false prophets. It wasn't motivated by love. It was motivated by fear. And it's really, man, my brother, my sister, you know, this this new believer in the community, they need to be encouraged. They need to be built up. They need to they need to have, you know, some confidence in to share a prophetic word on their behalf is something that's motivated by love. So I would encourage you, read some Piper quotes uh, that say, do the prophetic stuff. Uh, not that there's a ton of them, uh, but that one should be a good indictment if you want to go read that article. Uh, Miller, do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap this up? No, I'm just surprised we actually managed to get through this so quickly. Uh, I'm excited, and and I appreciate well, the chat today. Here. You know, he's the he's the long winded one. Oh, right. <laughs> we should do it without <laughs> him more often. Ah, Roundtree, see what happens. <laughs> no, uh, I'm just yeah. I actually I didn't know that Josh that I was one of the first people that kind of uh, shifted your way of thinking on that, and I'm I'm glad. That's kind of cool. So well, it's yeah. also kind of cool because you're stepping out in this stuff. I mean, you, you were at a place where you had never really done that. And in the past few years, I mean, we just mentioned the story earlier today of, of what you prophesied to, to Jordan. And that was incredibly encouraging to her. And so uh, if anything, now, now, Josh, do you feel uh, full of pride? Do you now feel like you're the man of God because you actually saw God use you to speak to somebody else? No, what's the, uh, what's the ending I result for you? You're in trembling. I was freaking out as I was doing it. And then once it bore witness, I was like, dude, thank God. Like I was freaking out. Um, but, but all that to say that like, do you I now think you're a prophet, Josh? Pentecostal, say what? Do you now think you're a prophet? Are you starting to drink no. your own Kool-Aid? <laughs> no, 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 no. If anything, it's again, very humbling where it's like, okay, Lord, like I'll step out. I'll listen. Um, you know, there was a time when I was in a classical Pentecostal tradition, again, where I shared a word with a guy that did not come to pass. In fact, it was the exact opposite of the truth. Um, and I just shared it with such confidence. Again, it was one of those things where someone didn't come along. Someone didn't coach us on how to do this. And I gave it with such confidence. And when it didn't happen, I was like, dude, I, I'm never doing that again. Right. Because I shared it as a thus saith the Lord almost um, with that level of delivery when I really shouldn't have. I should have submitted it in a humble way. And that really, I think, was another that abuse uh -huh. of that gift yeah. in my in my experience was one of the things that kept me from doing it again. And then to see you come in and go, hey, we're going to do this. This is how we're going to do this. We're going to own it when we miss it. We're going to, you know, we're going to deliver it with carefulness, that kind of thing. It was like, okay, um, it, it created a paradigm where the gifts of the spirit could flourish. And I think that's really mm -hmm. important too. If there are people out there and you're kind of, you're living in this kind of ecosystem where you get really heavily penalized for stepping out and things not not going well, you're ne you're not going to flourish in the gifts of the spirit in that environment. It's just not going to happen. No, uh, that, that, that's one thing that's for sure is, and, and this is true of everybody, right? You don't pony train a kid at gunpoint. Uh, right. 
Jesus. I mean, that's just not how, that's not how we learn, right? We learn by having a safe environment where it's okay to make mistakes. I mean, think of teaching your kid how to ride a bike or think about when you were taught how to ride a bike. It was messy. I mean, I think of just kids eating in general. Like you have to teach them manners. You have to teach them everything. And the same thing is true with uh, all of the gifts that God has given. They are powerful, but people are incredibly messy. And you should expect as a, a if you're an elder out there or a pastor, you should expect to be the one to help people clean up their messes. That you're, you're helping people to become more like Christ in their delivery and approach to all of the gifts. Bro, I can't hear a single thing you said after potty training a kid at gunpoint. That was so dark. I was like, I, could, I heard nothing after that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so distracted by that image. I'm like, Ugh. it's such a horrible, it's you such will a horrible now. image. You will. I was like, bro, if I was, if someone helped me at gunpoint, like they wouldn't need any help potty training. I'd empty myself <laughs> right real quick, you know, like that would not be a problem. Anyway, um, I digress. That's probably I digress. not my best expression. Yeah, maybe not. Um, we got a lot of good shows coming up. Uh, Carmen Himes is coming on. Super excited about that. We're going to do that history good, of Christian nominations. That's coming up. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we've got an episode on, I think, homosexuality that's coming up. Uh, we've got an episode Josh on is coming out of the closet. Uh, deliverance coming up. We've got, oh, geez, Louise. I've got all these things. That, a lot of them are actually propagated in the YouTubes there. So if you want to see upcoming shows, you can find them there on the YouTube page on upcoming shows, top of the page. Uh, anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this program. We have links in the description if you want to support the channel because we are crowdfunded. Uh, you can give a one-time gift on PayPal or a recurring gift on Patreon. As low as five bucks a month, you get access to extra content. Without further ado, uh, Millie, you got anything you want to add? Oh, just one little comment there at the very end. Bobby Numbers, the spirits of prophet are subject to the prophets, not pastors. That is not talking about being oh, submitted to leadership. It's about a prophet doing it in an orderly fashion. There is no, the, the people who are to lead the church are the elders of church. You will never see that. Uh, not the church. Nowhere will you see churches are supposed to be led by prophets. Sorry, I have to get that in there. I saw that comment. No, and I was like, no, that's Ugh. good. Yeah, it's, the gift of the prophet subject Ugh. to the prophet. It's like saying the gifts of Miller are subject to Miller. That's, that's what the text is saying. It is not saying that the gifts of the church are not to be subjected to church leadership because then Paul wouldn't say, let them realize that things I'm writing are the words of God. He's claiming that he has authority over those gifts in the governance of the church. So, um, yeah, that's a go. You have to go All read right. the passage in First Timothy that talks about the elders are to govern the affairs of the church, and, and prophecy is a an affair. So, anyway, uh, <sighs> sorry. Last little caveat. That's fine. All right, we're ending the show. Blessings, guys. God bless you guys. Yeah, have a good episode. <laughs> Or good episode. Good day. Good week. Whatever. <laughs> Blessings. We'll see you. We'll see you on Monday. Want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.